Our scripture reading for this morning comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 34 through 40. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these, who are a member of my family, you did it to me. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy God, send your spirit upon us. That as your scripture has been read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what it is you have to say to us this day. Amen. So many of you know that I began my ministry as the director of children's ministry in Loveland, Colorado about 25 years ago. And that working with children is my deep, deep joy. Now, over the years, through Sunday schools, Bible clubs, vacation Bible school, I have found that teaching Bible verses or concepts of faith in sign language is particularly effective. Not only does it help for children to be familiar with an entirely different language and culture, but it also helps them to embody what they're saying. Embarrassingly, I don't really retain <laughs> much of that language and can't remember any of the Bible verses I have ever taught in sign languages. There's a, there's a few words, though, that I do seem to remember, and um, I think they're important. Like, Lord, you take an L, and you put it from your left shoulder to your right hip. Lord. God. Just kind of put your hand up and down. Thank you. That's an important one. Thank you. Please. All done. Those last two I learned um, in the bunnies class in the preschool during lunch. Please may I have my lunch. I'm all done. And my favorite one, friend. Friend. Sometimes when I teach friend to kiddos, I'll put little smiley faces on my fingers or draw a little face because it kind of looks like two people hugging, right? Friends, friends. This is my very favorite sign because it suggests a link, a connection between two people, between two groups of people, between all people. 
So we are at the end of our sermon series called Linked. I think some of you, I've heard some feedback that you've enjoyed this. I have too. It's been really fun and nourishing and meaningful to consider the things that connect us to God and to each other. Our scripture today offers a challenge when we think about the ways that we are linked. In that the links that we have with each other sometimes present an inequality. Did you hear that in the scripture today? Inherent in these words of Jesus to his, the hearers of these words is that you, or the, the hearer of the story, the, the people on the right hand that God is speaking to, that those people are the ones that have resources. They're the ones that have the clothing, have the food, have the mercy to give. And those that are on the receiving end, the, the least of these, the scripture says, that are part of the family of God, do not have these things. And so they rely on the other to be able to eat, to be able to be clothed, to be able to have dignity as a human being. And while we talk a lot, all the time, about helping other people as a part of our faith, we don't talk a lot about recognizing that we here at Wash Park United Methodist Church are typically people that have. We have homes. We have food. We have money to a certain extent, at least enough to sign our children up for multiple activities or take vacations or enjoy second homes. We have privilege that not everybody has. I don't doubt that we've probably worked hard for all of these things, or we were born into families that afforded us a bit of an advantage. But I think it's important for us to recognize that another privilege that most of us have is also the color of our skin. Being white or Caucasian or whatever this color is, offers us a step up in our culture. I don't know if that's something that you've pondered in your life or faith, or if even just me making that statement takes you aback. It can be a very uncomfortable conversation for us. That's probably why we don't talk about it more. Now, in the Mountain Sky Conference of the United Methodist Church, several years ago, we made a commitment as a conference to work towards being an anti-racist conference. That means that we would look at the ways that we work and behave and the systems that we have around us and make sure that they are suitable for all people 
and don't give an unfair advantage over one set of people as opposed to another. That means that most of us clergy have done some trainings, we've taken some inventories of our implicit biases, we have been part of conversations to understand ourselves and how we might be contributing to racism in our contexts. One of the newer things that has been offered is a retreat called Nurturing Beloved Community and will start being a requirement for all clergy starting in 2024. So I was lucky enough to be able to join one of these retreats just this past week with some of my clergy colleagues up at Buckhorn Camp. It's a United Methodist camp up above Fort Collins. For three days, we talked about how difficult it is at times for white people, for me, to even realize I have a culture. Because white culture is kind of a default in this area in which we live in our country. It's seen by many as just normal or the way things are. This, of course, is not our fault or anything for us to feel guilty about, dear white people. It is part of our culture to not recognize that we have one. But it is our responsibility as humans and I believe as people of faith to do the work of recognizing, questioning, and transforming our subconscious biases into a more inclusive and adaptive view of the world. At the retreat, I got to hear from people with different cultural heritages, if that's a word, and one particular gentleman shared his life story about how he was taken as a child from his Navajo tribe and put into a Christian boarding school. They cut his long braided hair, washed his mouth out with soap when he spoke his native language. He shared he can't even go down the soap aisle in the grocery store anymore and they beat him when he wasn't being white enough. He is an older man now, perhaps a couple of decades older than I am, and he's a clergy colleague of mine in this conference. And in the midst of being with us, he cried. And he looked at those of us participants who were almost all white, and said, help me, help me know how to be accepted by your people. To which someone else, um, luckily a white person replied, maybe it's not your work to do, but ours. Today is World Communion Sunday, typically the first Sunday of October. 
This celebration began as Worldwide Communion Sunday at Shadyside Presbyterian Church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in 1933. The Reverend Hugh Thompson Kerr and his congregation sought to demonstrate the interconnectedness of Christian churches, regardless of the denomination. Reverend Kerr chose the Sacrament of Holy Communion to symbolize this unity. And the reason that we still celebrate it today is that in 1940, the Federal Council, Council of Churches in Christ in America, which included all of the predecessor denominations to the United Methodist Church, adopted World Communion Sunday. Today, all over the world, Christians are gathering at the table to celebrate unity. but not to assimilate or melt all of our respective identities together, but to honor a table that is diverse, colorful, beautiful, and a gift. And as we gather, we are also responsible to consider if we are taking some of the best seats at the table. Are our morsels of food of superior quality to others? It's not a bad thing if that's the case. This isn't about good or bad, but recognizing what is. And it's not anything to feel guilty about unless we refuse to recognize it, and unless we fail to turn to those around us to truly connect, to truly share. Because to be a friend means to reach out, to touch, to link our lives together, to share our resources as well as our dignity when others might have none. To see our existence as interdependent on the well-being of others and our ability to make it so. And so this is my prayer that we might be forever and deeply linked with one another. I pray these in the words of the Lord for us this day. Amen. <laughs>